I'm going to read the scripture for this morning. Would you guys stand with me as we read the word of the Lord? Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, reading God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we come this morning and we need to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, and as we're, we're beginning to see these different things that have been happening in the book of Acts all come together in this moment where we have a snapshot of what the church looked like, uh, we believe that, that that snapshot that you provide has something important for us uh, about the way that we are called to be the church today. Uh, and so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that even, even on, a, on a morning where the announcements are filled with food, we are reminded that, that we are people that eat together. Uh, so as we, uh, as we spend time looking at this passage this morning, Lord, we ask for your blessing and help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, college students would love to have you guys over, wherever you are sitting uh, next week. Please uh, email me. Uh, as we jump into the passage this morning, uh, one thing that we'll see is that, that you know, as I alluded in the prayer, a couple things have been happening, right? We've got this, the, uh, the replacement of, of Matthias as an apostle, which we skipped over, but, but that happened. This, there's this change in leadership that's happening. We've got Holy Spirit showing up. We've got this big sermon. We've spent all of this time kind of prepping. And, and what we see now is the fruit of what has been going on uh, kind of manifested for us. We get the snapshot of what the church looked like. And, and what we see, and, the, and it's probably important even to say, right, that the church is, is not, the church doesn't start at Pentecost, right? The church, if we define the church as the people of God, the people that, that God is calling to himself, then the church begins all the way back in Genesis, right, with, uh, you know, you could argue Abraham, uh, and, but what's happening here is that the church is taking on some new characteristics uh, because Holy Spirit has showed up. All of these promises are being fulfilled. We talked a few weeks ago about, you know, now we're in this, this time the prophets had been expecting the last days. And so what we're going to see today is all of these things coming together. And, and the main point that I want to drive home for us this morning is that 
we, we see here that, that this group of people had a common foundation that brought together a diverse group of people and pushed them forward in a unified mission, okay? And so the common foundation, that's the first point. The common foundation is the gospel. Uh, it's their faith in Jesus Christ. And interestingly, that baptism was a sign of them being a part of this. So that's the first point. The second point is this diverse group of people. And we're going to see that the church was young and old, uh, men and women. And then finally, the unified mission. And that unified mission is their very existence, who they were uh, pointing to the kingdom of God. So those are our three points that we're going to look at this morning. So uh, Peter, this we're going to pick up at the end of the sermon one more time. And I promise we're not going to be like tracing over the same passages again and again and again. This is just a very important passage, and and we could spend more time on it, but we will move on next week, I promise. Um, So so Peter has just finished preaching the sermon, and everybody replies, what do we do? Uh, Last week, I suggested to you that one way to think about that is that their hearts have been gripped, right? And when your hearts are gripped with something, we respond. We want to do something. We we want to follow it up with some kind of action. And so Peter says, uh, Peter begins to explain to them what they need to do. And, and really the imagery is that of cutting something off in order to move towards something new. In 2019, there was uh, this really short 12-minute documentary. And I'm going to try to remember to put a link to it in the, uh, in the church email this week. So you, can, so you can see it if you want to click on to see it. There's this uh, 12-minute documentary called Beneath the Ink. Uh, and the documentary is about a tattoo artist in southern Ohio. And uh, in response to some of the racial violence that was happening in 2018, 2019, uh, this, or before that, it was before that because the documentary came out in 2019, and specifically the, the racial violence that happened in Charlottesville, uh, this tattoo artist just felt compelled to provide a free service. So anybody that had a tattoo that had a racist connotations, he would cover the tattoo for free. Uh, and, and so this documentary is of a couple of people who are having tattoos covered over. And the main person is this uh, middle-aged white man who has on his back, huge tattoo on his back, a tattoo of a Klansman, okay, KKK Klansman. Uh, and, and he begins, the, 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 the documentary begins by explaining uh, this man kind of explaining his life and what it is that drove him to be filled with such hate. Uh, and he says hate for everybody. He just hated everybody is what he says in the documentary. And then there's this uh, really uh, jarring uh, transition that he starts talking about his adopted son. Uh, and uh, so he adopts this little boy and you see a picture of this little boy and it is the most beautiful picture you can imagine. It's this sweet little boy who, who just is smiling from ear to ear, and his eyes are just like full of life. And this little boy is black. Uh, and so this, this dad is saying, I don't want my son to see this on my body. Uh, and so he goes to Red Rose Tattoo, 
uh, and red rose tattoo, they offer, then they do, they, they cover it up. And really what he's, what he's doing is he's saying is he wants to cut, he wants to have that part of his life removed from him so that he can now start a new life. He even uh, uh, articulates it that way. This is a new start for me. Uh, when Paul talks about our salvation, one of the images that he uses is that of putting to death, cutting off, severing away our former way of life. In Romans chapter 6, this is how Paul talks about faith in Jesus Christ and faith in, in, in the good news of the gospel. He says in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 5, he says, if we have been united to Christ with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. In Galatians 2.20, this is probably a more familiar uh, way that Paul says it, one that maybe you you've, uh, are more familiar with. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Faith in Jesus is, as, as Chad was talking about during our call to confession this morning, faith in Jesus Christ means that, that our sin is put with Jesus on the cross. And, so, and in such an intimate way that when Jesus died on the cross, I died on the cross. The penalty for my sin was on the cross. I am dead to the penalty of sin. It no longer has any power over me. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. And so what's happening in this passage is that Paul, Peter is saying, look, you want to put your faith in Christ? Repent, turn away, cut this thing off and put your faith in Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 20, he goes on to say in verse 20, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Uh, uh, years ago, as I was studying the book of Acts in a previous, uh, previous church context, uh, I came across this Bible study that, uh, that Tim Keller put together on the book of Acts. And it's just, it's just filled with, Tim Keller's a pastor in New York City, for those of you that don't know who he is, uh, just filled with all these little insights. And what he says that, that just kind of made, uh, got my mind thinking is that we, um, is this, and I've said this to you before, right? We are constantly being discipled. All of us, we are constantly being discipled by something. Facebook is discipling us. Instagram is discipling us. The movies and TV shows that we watch are discipling us. Ted Lasso is discipling us. Right? These things are discipling us to see the world a certain way. And sometimes those things are actually in line with the gospel, but very often they're not in line with the gospel. And so <clears throat> what Peter's suggesting here is, is a um, th older writers, older um, Christian writers had this term is really stark. Uh, and we don't use it that much these days. But the way that they would talk about this act of separating from our former way of life was called mortification. And that sound like that sounds painful. Um, and, and that was part of it. There's this putting to death that happens. Now, the common foundation that these people are having, remember we talked about, there, there are people from 
several regions of the world. And what they're, what they're all experiencing in common is that they're hearing for the first time that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus saves us from our sin, and they can't help but say, what do we do with this? How do we respond? And Peter says, put your faith in Jesus. It's a cutting off. It's a, it's a severing of the other ways that you're being discipled, and it's a turning to Jesus. Now, interestingly, interestingly, the word baptism shows up here three times. And what we're going to see throughout the, the book of Acts, and what you see, if you just read the book of Acts, you'll see there are lots of baptisms in the book of Acts. Now, I know in a room like this that we probably have differences of opinion on how baptism should be done, who should be baptized, and all of that. We're not going to go down that road, okay? Um, but what I want you to see is this. What I want us to see is that I think in this one respect, we all agree, okay? Um, baptism is a sign of what God is doing in our lives, okay? Now, I just quoted for you, or we just read a second ago, Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 7. Do you know what comes immediately before Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 7? No? I'm glad you asked. Okay. So don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Our baptism is a sign that we have been crucified with Christ. So here's the thing. like Baptism, this is not the only thing that baptism does. Like Baptism and the Lord's Supper are infinitely complex signs and symbols that the Lord gives us. Like they, the, the ways that they work and the, the, the things that they do, when you start like looking at Old Testament and, and what they're prefiguring, it, like, it is mind-blowing, which is part of the reason why we, we can disagree with each other about how they should be done and who should receive or, uh, baptism in particular. Baptism is a sign that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not the only thing that baptism does, but that is one of the things that baptism represents. And so uh, to go back to that man with the tattoo, right? That racist tattoo on his back was a sign of his former way of life, of, of his life filled with hate, and now he is saying, I want a new start. So therefore, I need a new sign to cover over the old sign to wipe that sign away. Guys, that's the gospel. And I'm not, I don't know if this man was a Christian or not. The documentary doesn't say that. But that picture is a picture of the gospel. That Jesus comes and he gives us a new sign, the sign of baptism, to say, this person is now different than they were before. Now, what makes us different is faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't do it, but baptism is a sign of what Christ has done in us, okay? So the common foundation is our, our belief in the gospel, 
belief in Jesus Christ and this work that he does in our lives that he frees us as we, as we did in the confession, right? He frees us from the penalty of sin and he's working to free us from the presence and power of sin in our lives. And so little aside here, right? If, if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, let me encourage you that baptism is a really important part of what it means to follow Jesus. And I would love to talk to you, if you've not been baptized, I would love to talk to you about what that significance has much deeper than I just did uh, and, and, and talk with you about possibly being baptized. So if that's you, please, um, please let me know. All right, so that's the first point. So the second point is that we have this diverse group of people. So this common foundation, now we talk about this diverse group of people. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned to you that, you know, the multicultural element, right? Different languages, different cultures, uh, different parts of the world that they're coming from. Uh, and so certainly we can say that this common foundation brought together a, a multicultural diversity, right? But we can also say, and it's important for us to consider, that this was not only a multicultural diversity, it was also a generational diversity. Uh, it is an interesting thing, I think, right now, in that we're in this interesting point in time where we, in, at least in the workplace, right, we've got boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Z all interacting with each other. Uh, and in my previous job, I'm a solid Gen Xer. I own it. Um, and in my previous job, I had to work with a lot of millennials. It was a very sanctifying experience. For, and I'm not saying that because of millennials, because I had to realize how much I looked down on millennials sinfully, okay, <clears throat> because they view the world differently than I do. What we see in this passage is, um, is in, in chapter, in, 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 verse 39, uh, is Peter says something really fascinating. And and it is something that would have been totally expected for the audience. The promise is for you and for your children. For a Israelite mind, there's no concept of being a part of the people of God and children not being a part of that. That just that was an, that would have been a completely foreign idea. Jesus himself, right, in Matthew 18, the disciples are like, you know, trying to keep the kids away from Jesus because Jesus is doing important work. And what does Jesus say? Bring them to me, right? Bring them here. And he sits down and he does children's church with them. Um, and, and so we see that, that children are really important for the church. Generations are really important for the life of the church. Consider the number of times that we see in Scripture that one generation is following the Lord and the next generation does not. We're talking about priests. We're talking about prophets. And in one really sad point, we're talking about the entire nation of Israel in the book of, it's either Joshua or Judges. I think it's Joshua. Or maybe it's the beginning of Judges. One of those two. The entire nation, a whole generation is lost. So kids, whether you're watching virtually or here, and, and I'm using the word kids really broadly, right? Whether you're a baby or a teenager, or I'm not even not to demean college students, right? Um, 
you are vital to the life of, of the church. And I don't just mean Harbor City. I mean the church. Uh, and sometimes we as adults, we forget that, right? Um, we cannot be, listen to this, Harbor City, we cannot be the church that Jesus is calling us to be if we are not investing in our children. If we are not discipling them. Studies will tell you, right, that, that the primary influence uh, this is a recent study that a Christian sociologist by the name of Christian Smith put out uh, where he did this multi-year study on how faith is transmitted and not just Christianity, all kinds of faith. And, and period, without a doubt, no argument, the single most important way that faith is transmitted from one generation to the next is the faith of the parents. So the way that my children will come to know the gospel is because of my faith. But the study also says that faith cannot be, that, that faith needs support. I need the church. I need you to help me so that my children will grow up to love Jesus. And not just love Jesus, but love the church and want to be a part of the church. And so you see, like, when we make announcements about children's church, it's not because we need babysitters. Right? It is a fundamental conviction that a part of the responsibility that we have is to raise up the next generation of men and women that will be leaders, not just of Harbor City, but that will be the missionaries that go out into the world. That will be the men and women in the marketplace that are affecting change in their particular vocations. That will be bringing their own children to be baptized, right? That is on us as adults. We bear that responsibility to disciple the next generation. And then the second thing that we see about this diversity is that it's men and women. We've spent a lot of time, right? We, I think we started the series five. We, this is the fifth sermon in the series, right? And it was in the first sermon that we talked about the fact that there was 120 people and that it was men and women. And so it can be easy to like forget that even though it's been five weeks, that this is a matter of days that we're talking about. And so you've got this group of 120, and then they're in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit falls on all of them, not just the apostles. And then the scene shifts, and we do see Peter and the 11, and they're the primary person speaking, but come on. Like, how often in this room am I trying to talk, and you all are talking to each other, right? That's the way that communication happens. And so we know that men and women, aside from the, the 12, are having conversations. And then we come to this passage and we see what? That they're in each other's homes. So culturally, the picture that comes into my mind is that scene of Mary and Martha when they're having people over and Jesus is over, right? And, and we know, I know like, oh yeah, Martha was, you know, Jesus reprimands Martha, but, but he doesn't represent, reprimand Martha because Martha was showing hospitality, but because at that particular moment, her priorities were misplaced. Hospitality was core to Jewish faith and for centuries has been core to Christian faith. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the only place that women were doing ministry was in the homes. I'm not saying that at all. But that is absolutely one place where ministry was being happened with both men and women. And so 
we cannot be the church that we're called to be if we're not utilizing all of the gifts of all of God's people. And you know, my temptation is, because the emphasis of the passage, I don't know if you ever like pretend, like you ever see pictures of passages that you read. When I think of this passage, I realized this this past week, I see Peter talking, and then I see like behind them, like the faces of the other 11. And then beyond that, you ever like see those pictures where everybody's just kind of fuzzy? You know what I'm talking about? They're there, right? But it's just, they're fuzzy. You can't really see the faces. And I realized that that's, that's how I was seeing this passage. And so in effect, in my mind, when I think about this passage, I'm thinking about a bunch of dudes. That's not what was happening, right? It was men and women, young and old, being brought together because of their faith in Jesus. So we have a common foundation, which is the gospel. It is Jesus and him crucified. We put our faith in Jesus. We cut off. We bring on. Baptism is a sign of that. That's the first point. The second point is that that this message is for everybody. And so the people that Jesus is gathering to himself in this particular scene are young and old, men and women, and racially, culturally, socioeconomically, politically diverse. And this strange concoction of people God brings together on a unified mission. So what's that unified mission? Um, How many of you like puzzles? Puzzles? Only a few of you? Come on. I thought COVID for sure more of you would have been doing puzzles. All right. So puzzles. So we've got this one particular puzzle in our household that is one of my favorites. Um, Don't judge me. It's called Dogs with Jobs. So you've got all these different, it's a cartoon, and you've got all these different dogs. One is a barista, another one is like a community activist, another one is an architect, a doctor, like a yoga instructor. It's ridiculous. So, so when, you're, when I'm doing this puzzle, right, I get fixed in on whichever particular dog I'm doing at that moment. So I'm looking for the pieces for that little scene of this large picture. I could, and I, I, this was a realization, I could literally have right in front of me a piece that is just outside of this picture, right in front of me, and I don't see it because I'm so fixated on this one particular scope of the puzzle. The temptation when we come to this last part of the passage is that uh, we'll focus in on apostles' teaching, we'll focus in on prayer, We'll focus in on fellowship. We'll focus in on the Lord's Supper. And and we'll do what I do with the puzzle. We'll we'll, we'll narrow our focus and not see the larger picture. But what I want to suggest to you is that those four things, and really this whole passage, what it's presenting for us is a puzzle. And you bring the pieces together, and it paints for us, or it gives for us a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. That that's what's happening here, that that uh, there's a New Testament scholar whose last name, whose name is escaping me. I think it's Osvaldo Padilla, who's at a school in, in Alabama. Uh, and, and Padilla argues that, that this particular passage is a snapshot, uh, and it's, a, it's an idealized image of what the church was like, and that we're given this image so that we can go and do likewise, Right? Uh, And so what are the things that we see? Four things that we see. And then four questions for you to to consider as you apply them. 
First of all, we see that they were devoted to, they could not get enough of God's word. And so therefore, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, Now, for them, that would have been looking at the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, and then the apostles are, are expounding. They're explaining that to them, right? For us today, the, the scriptures are our copy of the apostles' teaching. The New Testament is our, our edition of the apostles' teaching. And so the, the question for application is, how is God calling us to be more devoted to his word. And I'm using the word us intentionally because the word us can be understood in two ways, right? You can understand the word us as I'm speaking to us as a bunch of individuals, yes, but you can also understand the word us as I'm speaking to us as a collective, yes. How is God calling us individually and as a church to be more devoted to his word? It's the first thing. The second thing is that they could not get enough of God's people. And so they were devoted to fellowship. Uh, I don't know about you, but for years, for me, the word fellowship was simply an adjective that you put in front of other words. All right? It's an adjective that you put in front of a room, fellowship hall. Uh, It's an adjective that you put in front of a meal, fellowship meal. It's an adjective that you put in front of a meeting, fellowship group. Uh, and, and so, therefore, it had lost all of its power. For me, for me, it had lost all of its power. Uh, fellowship means a sharing in. It's a participation in. Uh, just so you can understand how profound our fellowship is. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, we are told that our fellowship is with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we're told that our fellowship is with Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 1, 3, we are told that our fellowship is with, guess who? The Father. Fellowship is not an adjective that we put in front of another word to modify it. Fellowship is is what we experience. It's the sharing with that we experience with the God of heaven and earth. And because we experience this sharing with, this participation uh, with Jesus, we're crucified with Christ, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're adopted into the family of God. Because of this unique uh, fellowship that we experience with God, we experience fellowship with one another. Right? It's not an adjective that we put in front of a noun, it's a verb It's a noun in its own right. And we see that in action in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and they gave to everyone as they had need. That's what fellowship looked like. They couldn't get enough of God's um, word, so they devoted themselves to scripture, the apostles' teaching. They couldn't get enough of God's people, so they devoted themselves to fellowship. They couldn't get enough of God's provision, and so they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is, um, there's a lot we can say about the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is one of several uh, things that God provides as the ordinary ways that he 
has us experience his grace in our lives. The, the theological term that we use is means of grace. But that's just a fancy way of saying, these are the ways that God generally works for you and I to experience his grace in our lives. Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer, scripture, worship are some of those ordinary ways that God works in our lives in order for us to experience his grace. And that's what's happening here. And then finally, they couldn't get enough of God's presence. And so they devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, One popular prayer book, the subtitle is Experiencing Intimacy with God. Prayer is all about our relationship with God. And so they devoted themselves to God's word. And so um, how is God calling us individually, corporately, to have an increasing devotion to his word? Second question, how is God calling us to have an increasing devotion to one another? Third question, how is God calling us to have an increased devotion to not just the Lord's Supper, but all of these normal ways that God works in our lives for us to experience his goodness? And then finally, how is God calling us to increase in our devotion to prayer? If I can connect this, right? Chad earlier talked about, you know, being free from the penalty but fighting and working towards being free from the presence and power of sin, this is it, right? This is how this happens. Now, this group of people, you know, over 3,000 at this point, this is the kind of life that they're living. And it says at the end of the passage that more and more people are coming in. Why? Right? Because this is infectious, because this is attractive, because this is compelling, because this is beautiful. Now, this is, a, this is not going to stay like this the entire time, right? In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at a passage where the, the very things that were happening come under attack, <clears throat> both from within and from without. <clears throat> but what we see here is that um, two, things, and then I'm, two things, and then I'm done. The first is that I can't manufacture this. I would love to be able to have the power to manufacture this. I would love to be able to have the power uh, to, 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 to create this kind of community. All really that I can do is point us to it. I can pray us towards it. Uh, I can model it. Uh, the elders and elder advisors and the staff and other leaders of the church, we, none of us can manipulate this into reality. We can, we can pray for it. We can point to it. We can model it. But at the end of the day, this is something that we all have to commit to doing and being together. Listen, I moved my family across the country because this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And my sense is that this is the kind of church many of you want to be a part of, if not all of you. We can't do this by ourselves. We need to do this together. And it's important that we don't get the order wrong, right? Notice the order that the sermon went in. It starts with the gospel, right? It's not devote yourself to Bible, devote yourself to teaching, devote yourself to prayer, devote yourself to to Bible studies, devote yourself to church, and then Jesus will accept you. And then you'll prove, okay, you cut everything off. That's not how it works, right? The gospel is 
turn to Jesus, love Jesus, faith in Jesus, Jesus will change you. And then because Jesus doesn't leave you unchanged, right? All of this beautiful stuff starts happening in our hearts and it spills over into this devotion to the things of God. And when you get a group of people together and they're all doing that, stand back. Stand back because God will move. San Diego does not need, the United States does not need another group of people that are just kind of going through the motions on Sunday. It's not what we need. That's not the gospel. If all we're doing is going through the motions, we are not reflecting the kingdom of God. We're reflecting a social club. I don't want to be a part of a social club. I don't think you do either. Right? But, but when a group of people, because of their love of Jesus, as diverse as they are, as, as men and women, young and old, politically diverse, socially diverse, socioeconomically diverse, racially, ethnically diverse, when a group of people who are bound by their love of Jesus come together, and because Jesus is working in them, in us, and that spills over into devotion for God's word, his people, his provision, and his presence, then Harbor City is going to reflect the kingdom of God in San Diego. Isn't that what we all want? Amen? Then let's pray for that. Father, we, um, the vision that you give us here, no one of us can make this happen. Uh, but every one of us confessed just now that that's what we want. And so, Lord, help us. Help us. We need your spirit. We need your help uh, to, to be a people that are reflecting the beauty and the wonder of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I know that, that, that for us to get there, your spirit has to work in any number of different ways with the people who are here this morning virtually and here this morning physically with us. Uh, and, and so thank you that, that you're the one that has to do that work. And so Lord, we call out to you, we plead with you, will you please do that work in our midst um, because we want to reflect your kingdom. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.